Hello, welcome back to Fergie Time, the brand new Manchester United podcast brought to your ears by Vavo UK, the home of some of the finest sports writing on the World Wide Web today. My name is Ryan Batty and today I'm joined by two very special guests and two new guests from last week. So up first, in the red corner, we've got content producer for Vavo UK, Ewan Burns. If you listened to the podcast last week, we asked both co-hosts a unique question regarding their United sport. So Ewan, I'll ask you two similar questions. Firstly, how are you? And secondly, who is the best Manchester United midfielder of all time? Hello, I'm doing okay. Uh, my... I, I I don't know who the best is. I can tell you my favourite. My my favourite's got to be Michael Carrick, just because I grew up trying to do everything I could to play like him. I got told to watch him and just copy what he does, basically. But in terms of the best, it's hard to. It's quite hard to look past Paul Scholes, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I really do like Michael Carrick. I think he was so underappreciated for so long as a United midfielder. And I think it really came to light in Sir Alex Ferguson's sort of last couple of seasons how, how really integral he was to that squad. Um, some really good work behind the uh, sort of between the midfield and the defence, really sweeping up and, and putting some and putting in some really excellent performances as a United midfielder. Well, brilliant. There's you and there's you and uh, for you guys today. So uh, obviously we'll be over the next sort of forty minutes. We'll be discussing uh, all things United, but we've also got another co-host. Unfortunately, he's in the blue corner. Uh, but we've got Vavil writer Josh Dolman. And Josh, I'll pose two similar questions to you. Firstly, how are you? And secondly, I mean, this suppose sort of ties into what you and said before. But who is the most underrated United player of the last fifteen years? I'm very well, thank you. Um, Yeah, Carrick was quite high up there and and was kind of going to be my choice for that question. But actually, a bit of a controversial one. Um, You might have to hear me out in that. I'm going to go for John O'Shea. Oh, no, I I 100% agree with you on that one. Honestly, (laughs) I love John O'Shea. Yes, yeah. So he's one of the only ever players to play every single position for Man United, obviously going in goal at one point. And got to remember, this was during sort of the Fergie glory years, and he was still getting picked, still getting put in every position when there was an injury. I think even in 2008, when we had that great team, he went up front for a game. I loved the keeper against Arsenal, scored some important goals. And I just think he always gets kind of laughed off as a joke when actually he was quite um, quite integral to that team for five-ish years. What was it, 300-plus appearances? Yeah. yeah, 100%. I mean... O'Shea and Wes Brown, obviously two sort of understudies to that sort of back four that I think a lot of people love as United fans um, and really filled in when they had the chance. Obviously, O'Shea, plenty of times when he came in handy as United uh, defender, midfielder, striker, goalkeeper, probably played kit man at some point. Um, and then Brown, obviously, had a really good year that, that year when O'Neville, uh, O'Neville, Neville, Gary Neville was injured uh, the year the United won the Champions League and uh, obviously put in the cross for... Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo score the opener in the uh, in the Champions League final yeah. that year. So, without any further ado, uh, we've we've heard from both co-hosts already. Um, if uh, I'm going to throw my hat into the ring and say about underrated players just quickly and say Park Ji Sung is mine. Um, we we had a I went to the um, United treble reunion game uh, last season against Bayern Munich legends, and I tell you what. Park Ji Sung was advertised for that game. He didn't show up, and I was absolutely devastated. <laughs> anyway, we'll move on to uh, to uh, more lighter matters now, more recent matters for that matter. Uh, so, United in the last week since we last talked on this podcast have gone and beaten uh, West Bromwich Albion and have gone and beaten Istanbul in the Champions League. So, obviously, we'll start with the one w- with the one against West Brom at the weekend. Uh, there was a lot of controversy regarding uh, video assistant referee. Um, I mean, when isn't there a weekend with controversy over VAR? Um, I've, I've said, is there any positives or was it all ugly? I'll throw this one to you first, Ewan. Um, what was your take from the uh, from the West Brom game? Uh, I, I do think we got away with that game to an extent. In terms of VAR, they should have had a penalty, in my opinion. It wasn't like a horrendous foul, Stonewall sort of one, but... I think if that had happened at the other end, we'd be we'd be feeling hard done by there. But it was mostly ugly. <laughs> You're nearly right. But um, I think just regardless of the manner we did it, getting that home win just to get those demons out of the way is absolutely massive. I think going forward. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll use the I'll use I'll borrow from another sport and use the example of a of, of a batsman sort of coming to the crease and he's faced a couple of defensive shots and he's had a he's maybe had a wicket or two uh, early on in the last couple of uh, in the last couple of innings but this one he he need he just needed to get over 10 sort of 10 20 runs 
and uh, United certainly did that against West Brom. Got the uh, got the finally finally the first home win of the new league season, and hopefully that is sort of the uh, sort of the way we can kickstart our, uh, our our Premier League season at Old Trafford. Because obviously away from home, we're bloody sensational. Honestly, some of the performances this season away from home have been all right, but at home it just seems to go all all to. Uh, well, I don't want to use any expletives, but honestly, that performance against West Brom, if we hadn't won that, I'm sure uh, United Twitter would have been full of them. Uh, Josh, do you, do you, do you want to add anything to that West Brom performance? What was your reaction to uh, to the VAR controversy? So the, the whole game was quite a tough watch um, for a United fan, really. I, I, I think it was definitely a penalty to West Brom, and then for it to get overturned is just even luckier. Um I think ours was also a definite penalty and should definitely have been retaken. Um, and I guess the positive to come out of it is a clean sheet, um, regardless of whether it was a penalty or not. Still keeping a clean sheet in the other sort of 89 minutes, whatever, um, is a positive. That, that home hopefully then kind of kickstart the season, season a bit more. Yeah, 100%. Um, so we'll spend no more time on that West Brom game because I think we've already given it the two minutes it deserves. Um, <laughs> so we'll move on to the uh, the Champions League action and that was a little bit brighter. United lined up. I mean, we, we talked to Usman Akhtar last week and he was talking about having Fred as the only defensive midfielder with Van der Beek and Fernandes and Pogba. And I think a lot of us thought maybe maybe a bit high in the sky, but he only went and did it, Mr. Solskjaer. He went and played a very attacking lineup against uh, against Istanbul. Um, so I think the biggest talking point was Bruno Fernandes scoring an absolutely sensational finish from outside the box. And obviously a little bit of a, a more simple one later on. Uh, I'll start with you, Josh. What was your opinion on that game, Bruno in particular maybe, or anything else that you wanted to pick up? That's the team I've been desperate for him to to start for, well, since the season began now. I, I want to see um, Bruno in there with kind of Fred just holding the four and let other five just play. I've been desperate to see Cavani start and I thought he was really good, just chasing everything down. Um, I've been proved massively wrong about him. I kind of thought he's a bit of a waste of a signing. Um, but actually everything he's done, even though, you know, he's only scored one goal, he's just set that example in terms of work rate and, and what a striker to do and something for Martial to maybe learn from. Um, yeah. I think he looked a bit brighter actually on the wing than he has starting on his own, uh, starting through the middle, Martial. Um, mm-hmm. And then I thought Alex Tellers looked really good at, at, at left back with, you know, how he is with well, both feet, but especially that left foot on crosses and corners, etc. Um, I'm quite excited to see see him progress through the season. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Tayes, obviously, Tellis, Tayes, I've heard many different pronunciations of that left-back's name. He's put in some really good performances so far in the United States. Obviously, not many of them, thanks to, uh, obviously, some COVID cases and a couple of international breaks in there, but he really impressed for me on... Uh, on was it Tuesday or Wednesday? I think it was Tuesday night, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, honestly, all these days in isolation are blending <laughs> yeah. into one at the minute. Honestly. <laughs> so you touched on it there about Alex Tellis, Tellis, Tellis. Answers on a postcard for his actual pronunciation and um, for us. Um, he he had a good performance as did uh, Donny Van der Beek, and he's he's a player that I think a lot of United fans have been frustrated about. And Harry last week on the pod said that. Maybe I think it was a little bit overreactive, sort of overreaction from United fans, and I, I would agree. I think I think Carl Anker from the Athletic made a really good point that sort of he used the analogy of a coat that you buy in the summer sales, like a winter coat that you buy in the summer sales, because you don't need it now, but you'll need it later. And I think that's I think that's a really good analogy actually, because I think as we come into these winter months, I mean United have got what eight games in the next three weeks or something ridiculous like that. You're not going to be able to play the same first choice midfield, so. What you and I'll go back to you. What did you think for the uh, for, for 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 midfield for the next couple of weeks? Is Van der Beek in there? Uh, I think we're certainly going to see him feature in the Premier League much more than he has. I think the, the fi- even though it's already been a bit mad with fixtures, it's going to get really really mad now, and we're going to see a proper rotation. I in in terms of how he rotates it, I think we're going to see more Pogba, and I don't think he's as injured as we think. I think a similar thing's been happening with Greenwood where they've sort of used an excuse to take them out the limelight and keep them fresh and we can sort of unleash them when people get really, really tired. But Van der Beek in that game, this just came into my head, but he he actually played a bit of a Michael Carrick role in that game 
where mm -hmm. you, you could almost trick yourself sometimes into thinking that he's not doing anything, he's not influencing the game. But then you watch him closer and you realise that he's just getting the ball and laying it off and he's keeping things ticking over. And he's doing the sort of thing that we kind of hoped that Fred would do. But he's, yeah. he's sort of moulded into a more sort of vicious midfielder, <laughs> yeah. if you like, whereas Van de, Van de Beek's a bit more, bit more Rolls-Royce. So yeah. I, I think that was a really exciting performance and I think that's the sort of team that we need to be playing, that, that we should have been playing against West Brom, that sort of game at home to a team that is just turning up to get a point or nick a win sort of thing. We, we needed Van der Beek in that game, I think. Yeah, 100%. I mean, he is looking like that sort of player that you know you can put in at any opportunity and he, and he does impress. I mean, you could make the argument that he's maybe trying to get acclimatised to the Premier League. Obviously, he's played more Champions League football in the past. Um, he's used to sort of European styles. But honestly, the, t the games he's played in the Champions League so far, Leipzig and obviously Istanbul, I'm, 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 I can't even, I don't even want to think about Istanbul away, but Istanbul at home especially. Um, he did, he's, He's sort of that player, as you say, like a sort of like a Michael Carrick, but he's advancing. He's he's again the sort of player whom you don't really see, but he's doing all that hard work in the middle. And I think, as you say, a lot of people thought that maybe that was the job for Fred, but it seems that Van der Beek's making that uh, making that position, making that role his own, the sort of water carrier midfield, which is excellent because uh, it's exactly what United have needed for so so long, probably since the departure of Michael Carrick a couple of years ago. Uh, Josh, did you want to add anything on on that performance against Istanbul? Was there any any performances that stood out to you? I, I was just going to say about um, Van der Beek. Rather, the thing I like about him is he's so versatile. I, I can see him dropping into that uh, Fernandez role, or the Pogba, or where Pogba's been playing, sort of alongside Fred. You can kind of see either, and God forbid, sort of Fernandez ever gets injured, or <laughs> if Solskjaer, you know thinks we're playing a slightly weaker team, um, you know, like the, like the West Brom game and wants to give Fernandez a bit of a rest, then I can see him slotting in there and being perfectly fine. Yeah. Some of his link-up play is, is, is really good and he just seems quite a clever, clever footballer, sees gaps, sees spaces to run into. Um, I'm quite a big fan of his, actually. Yeah, 100%. Um, so, we've got, we've got two more games now in the next week, obviously. Um, a lot more football to come from United which is good for, for fans maybe not so good for uh, heart rates of United fans possibly, I don't know uh, but we'll look forward to the next two games now obviously uh, we've got Southampton on Sunday and uh, PSG uh, next week in the Champions League at home uh, at Southampton we make the trip to St Mary's um, so I'll, I'll start with I'll start with you Ewan again Um what what do United need to do to make sure they can win? Because Southampton are, aren't the team they were last season. They're not the team that got beaten 9-0 anymore um, by Leicester. They're a, they're a really solid team. They're ascending up the Premier League table pretty rapidly. They topped the table at one point. Do United need to be more attacking or do you think that they need to revert into that more sort of cautious structure they played? Maybe not exactly like they did against West Brom, but maybe a revert, a revert back to the McTominay-Fred duo in midfield. Well, I, I'm very nervous for this game because, like you say, Southampton do look really, really good. Before the season, I thought Brighton and Southampton looked like two teams who were who've got the ingredients to have a very good year, and Southampton have sort of done even more than I thought they might. And I, th I think we need to we need to go at them because what seems to be massive for this United team is that we have to score first, and I, I that's what I want us to do. I don't think we'll do that. I think we are going to sit in a bit more and play on the counter, and I think. We, we run the risk of showing a bit too much respect to Southampton, as good as they are. Mm -hmm. I think we need to have a bit of confidence in our own forward play. We've got some amazing attackers. Go, go and score early on and put the pressure on them rather than letting it come onto us instead. And then we then we end up flapping and we make silly mistakes. And that's where we lose to these teams who are, generally speaking, lower down the table. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Southampton are the, are the, are the sort of team that will... That, that, that will punish your mistakes a team like Istanbul and West Brom who we've played in the last week unfort like no disrespect but they're the sort of teams that if you were to make a mistake you could recover it pretty quickly but we saw last season against Southampton uh, after the lockdown that two-all draw where they scored sort of really late on Oli made a huge mistake taking off Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba in that game and it really came back to bite United on the arse a little bit Um but you know, we'll we'll see what happens against Southampton in terms of the midfielders. Um, you said they're a bit more of an attacking intent and a bit more of a, 
you know, just going at the t- going at Southampton, which which will be really crucial. Um, so, Josh, is there anything you wanted to say about about United against Southampton? Is there anything you wanna you wanna touch upon in terms of maybe the the attack, attacking intent or anything like that? Well, I was just I was just gonna say. I mean, it's lucky that it's away. I think um, yeah. it'd be quite nice for us to go there rather than Old Trafford where we're struggling. Um, also, Danny Ings is is still injured, um, and I know that they've still been scoring goals, but that their attacking force is is nowhere near as strong without Danny Ings. So, so I think we need to, um, you know, go on that attack a, a bit more. I'd like to see Cavani start, um, but I think that Solskjaer will also have one eye on on PSG. Um, but actually, when you look at the table, we're we're seven points off Spurs at the top, but we have a game in hand. So it's such a crucial game to get three points um, in that I just hope he doesn't think about the Champions League too much. Yeah. Well, I, I, I 100% agree with you um, on that. I mean, it's the sort of game where United need to win. They need to get three points to close that gap on the top of the table if they've got any chance of qualifying for the top four. So what will happen is we'll probably go out and lose 2-1 or 2-0. It'll it, just you on... can, just sorry, just on what Josh was saying about um, Danny Ings being out, I read earlier that Redmond's out as well. Yeah. So I, I just think we need to take this opportunity to beat what are a good team. Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, you've got the likes of Fernandes in there. If if Van der Beek plays, I don't think he will. I think he'll revert to the Fred McTominay pivot. But someone like Fernandes can really take this game by the scruff of the neck. I think it'd be really interesting to see Fernandes against James Ward-Prowse if he plays, because Ward-Prowse this season has been really strong, and he's a player that I've always admired. That a really strong, sort of uh, well-rounded midfielder, and obviously does like to bend in a free kick. And I tell you what, that free kick he bent in the other week against Everton at St Mary's. That was Beckham-esque. I'm not. I'm, I don't want to. I don't want to joke about that. But that was genuinely Beckham-esque. The way the feet moved afterwards. But United have had success at South at St Mary's in the past. Obviously, I think my one of my favourite United games of all time was the uh, was the uh, Robin van Persie hat trick game back in Sir Alex Ferguson's last season, where United were I think two one down with some ridiculous like two minutes to go, and van Persie scored. Missed the penalty in the United to win 3-2. So, excellent victory in that one. Um, we'll look ahead now to the PSG game. And obviously, we're playing at home this time. So, maybe a little bit of a chance. And also, people are saying that United need one point now to qualify from this group. And I'm not so convinced about that. I mean, I think Leipzig and PSG are both two strong teams. And I think, I mean, United are in the position where they've got nine points from the first four games and if you'd offered me nine points out of the first four games before we started the group stage I'd have bitten your hand off but I'm getting to the sort of point now where the two games to go are the team are games where I could easily see United drop points um, and lose but obviously the one against PSG is at home uh, obviously we go to Leipzig away after that uh, Josh is this is this a chance for United to start again with three at the back obviously they played so well like that last time I will uh, say before you answer that, Alex, I'm sure you're aware, Axel Twanzebi will be suspended because of a yellow card he picked up against Istanbul on uh, on Tuesday night. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit gutted about that, actually, because I, I thought he was probably um best player by quite some way in that, even though um, Wan-Bissaka played well and, and so did Fernandez as well. I think he's got to stick to that system, though, and, and have faith. Um isn't it Maguire that can come in and, and, and play in that slot? Because he didn't play in the first game. It was uh, Twinsaby, Lindelof and Shaw there. Yeah, it was, and then obviously yeah. we've got uh, And then obviously we've got um, the wing-backs to come in as well. I, th- I think you play the same. I'm worried, like you, that actually we've had such a good start to the Champions League and that loss to Istanbul away is, is going to bite us in the arse and... Um, we'll struggle these last two games. I, I hope it's not the case, but <clears throat> it would just be so typical of what, what's going on at the moment. So I, I think it's so important to to get a result next game. Yeah, I mean, you touched on it there about Maguire slipping in, um, and he could certainly do that. But again, Luke Shaw is injured as well, so it's it's a, it's a sort of what he wants to do. And I, God forbid, honestly, it wouldn't shock me if he put Matic there at third centre half. It really wouldn't. He seems to have this fascination with Matic, who yeah. does play well, but I think only plays well when he's got Fernandez and Pogba in front of him. Elsewhere, if he tries to play in two with with Fred, he's not mobile enough. Um, so maybe centre half is the right position for him. I'm, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Ewan, is there anything you wanted to add on that PSG game? What sort of system United United line up with? Well, 
I, I think he would want to play three at the back, but with with the turns of suspension, Shaw being out, and then there's potentially Lindelof out as well. It kind of remains to be seen. I, I think he's going to be, he, he won't be able to, basically through lack of players more than anything. Um, but I, I actually, funnily enough, on what you just said, um, I was thinking earlier, I think Matic and or McTominay will play, and depending on how much PSG fly out of us, which you'd expect them to, they're going to end up forming a back three anyway. Yeah. I think I think it's just going to happen naturally with one of those two in between yeah. Maguire and whoever he ends up playing. Well, yeah, I mean, we saw it against Leipzig when we played that sort of diamond formation. I really like seeing Matic. I mean, to be fair, I say that. Matic and McTominay sort of slipped into that third centre-half role when United were defending anyway, when United were out of possession. So, yeah. I mean, it McTominay could, it could... plays it for Scotland, doesn't he? Exactly, McTominay does play for Scotland, so he's got the versatility there. It's just whether Solskjaer is willing enough to pull the trigger. And I think that's a little bit a criticism of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer so far as, as Manchester United manager. I think he's a bit hesitant um, to pull the trigger on sort of maybe more adventurous tactical moves. And when he does, I think he just holds on for it a bit too long. Like that that diamond against Leipzig, I think a lot of people have been calling out for. And they went to go and play against Arsenal. It was like, no, he shouldn't be playing that against Arsenal. They're a bit, they're a bit of a different beast, obviously. I think, yeah. I think that's the issue with... Uh, I'm a Solskjaer fan, but I think that's part of the issue of, of having someone who's... Um, not got the kind of stature of, say, a Pep or a Klopp or a Mourinho, that when it comes to making those big decisions, they're scared to take the risk. Yeah. I think that applies to Solskjaer at times. Like, he probably should have dropped Pogba a bit earlier. Yeah, You can often tell that he is learning on the job sometimes. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. In those sorts of situations. Yeah, I mean, I, I pointed out last season with substitutions. I think, he, I think he leaves substitutions a bit late when United are really sort of up against the wall. Um like when they're holding a lead and I think it waits a bit too long to make a change. And I think at times there's, there's changes that are there to be made that he doesn't. I think Palestri could have well come on against Istanbul the other night and just given him a few minutes in the first team. I think Dan James, honestly, could have done some damage against some uh, some age, some tiring back lines last season and he didn't really pull the trigger on him because I don't think he trusted him um, after sort of the when, when, he, when he came out of the team a little bit. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, I am going to say... On the uh, last point about these two games coming up, uh, Ewan, what is one thing that you want to see out of United against Southampton and one thing you want to see from United against PSG? So, I think Southampton, I, I just want to see some intent. I, I, I want it to be an exciting game. I don't want it to be another one of those drab games like the West Brom. And um, in terms of PSG, sort of the opposite. I, I want it to be calm. It, yeah. I, I don't think I can take another United PSG game <laughs> where it, it just feels like you're under siege the whole time but then we still end up scoring quite a lot which is great but also mad in a different way we just want a, a, a calm game against PSG for once obviously ideally one where we win yeah uh, I'll throw the same question to you Josh what is one thing you'd like to see against Southampton and one thing you'd like to see against PSG um, the Southampton one's fairly obvious and a bit boring but I, I just want to win I don't really care <laughs> how it happens um, Yeah, I literally don't care less how it happens I, I just want to win on that just to secure keep us in touch with everybody else in that league I think anything else and, and we really start to look like we're not going to qualify for Champions League 10 games in which seems a bit rash, but I just think we'll struggle if, if we continue to not show good form in the league. We need a, a little run of games or wins in there, um, mm-hmm. which would be nice. For PSG, a um, bit different. I, I'd really like to see Cavani start again against yeah. them. I think it being his old club it fires him up a bit more. Um, I think they'll know how much of a handful he is. And um, I think Thomas Tuchel's already said that he, he's worried that they've let him go a bit too early because um, he, he still looks sharp, etc. So I, I just think putting him on from the start and maybe a bit more experience in Greenwood and having Martial and Rashford start either side of him yeah. um, could, could be a nice little tactic. I, I, I'd really like to see him start to get a bit more game time now. Cavani now he's a bit more match fit. Yeah, and obviously he's played played against the, played for Uruguay, should I say, in, in the international break. So there's mm-hmm. sort of minutes that we haven't seen from Cavani that he still went and, still went and got for himself. Um, we're going to move on now, and we're going to talk about United's week in general. And uh, we do, we did this last week about the international break, but we're going to do this from United's week of uh, playing two games. Uh, we're going to talk about a winner and a loser from United's week. I, I'll, I'll I'll kick off because uh, um, 
I've ri- I've got mine written down here. Um, so my winner from this week is uh, Bruno Fernandez. I mean, he scored twice against Istanbul. Obviously, that first one was a really, really solid long range effort. That second one was a bit easier, but you know, I've covered non-league football for for years. I know there are players that would have missed that. Um, and I think that confidence that he would have got um, from scoring those two goals against Istanbul, obviously not the same competition as he what he faces in the Premier League. But I still do think that it'll allow him to kick on uh, to become a bit more of a, a well-rounded player this season. Because obviously he raised the game of several other players around him last season. And I just hope he can do the same thing again uh, this season again. Uh, so Josh, who is your winner from this week of Manchester United football? Mine was uh, tough to pick anyone else apart from Bruno. Um, not just because I think of those two goals, but given Rashford the penalty, his all-round performance, etc., etc. Um, I think it kind of speaks for himself. The amount of goal contributions that he's had since joining, it, he's just raised the whole team. I think without him, Solskjaer's not in a job. Um, but I saw that you picked him, so so I thought I'd go for <laughs> Rashford, actually. Um not just for on the pitch, he's due to receive a special award at Sports Personality of the Year Award. Obviously, he won the penalty, then took the penalty, scored the penalty fairly calmly. Um, and I, I just think he's he's something special, really. Um, not just in the past week, but just in, in general. Yeah, just to add on to that thing about Fernandes, uh, he's at 35 games, he's had 34 goals and assists. It's absolutely yeah. outrageous. And I agree with you on Rashford. I think for non-footballing reasons as well, I think could be uh, could well be considered a winner from this week. Obviously, um, he's, as you say there, about sports personality. Uh, he has going to release a documentary this in December about um, child in a child poverty and inequalities. Mm-hmm. Um, so, honestly, top marks Marcus Rashford. I'm sure every United podcast and every United writer will say it every week. I can't imagine there's anyone criticising Marcus Rashford apart from, you know, your usuals on Twitter or whatever. Uh, Ewan, who is your winner from this week? So I'm sorry if we've taken Fernandes and Rashford. Have you got anyone else? Well, it, it's tough to look beyond Bruno because he is literally the correct answer, isn't he? I mean, you can probably <laughs> copy and paste it every single week for the rest of the season. But um, but I, through through him being gone, <laughs> um, I've gone with Alex Tellez, mainly because, you know, he's not he's not sort of pulled up trees by in these last couple of games he's played, but it's two sets of 90 minutes, and with Luke Shaw being out injured, which is unfortunate, but it gives Alex Tellers this chance now where he's going to have an extended run as the number one left back, and he, he, he could, if he wants to, make it that Luke Shaw doesn't get back in the team. Yeah, And I think for that reason it's been a positive week for him that he'll hopefully build upon. Yeah, I 100% agree with you, to be honest. I think Luke Shaw was maybe a little bit presumptuous saying that United needed uh, reinforcements early in the season uh, when he was probably the one coming under siege. But actually, to be fair to Shaw, since Tejas came into the team, I think he's done really well. And it was yeah, the same yeah. last se- Yeah, it was the same last season when when Brandon Williams broke through and was looking like he could really dislodge uh, Shaw. Um, and also can play that third centre-half role if if needs be. And so, no, I, I, I agree with you there that uh, Tellers has been really good this season, really good when he's featured, and obviously last two games has been has been solid as well. Uh, we're going to go on to losers now, um, and obviously we don't want to talk about United losers because, you know, we have enough of those on the pitch. Um, but I think the the probably the biggest loser from this week is Nemanja Matic. And it's really, uh, it's really annoying because I thought he had a bit of a career resurgence and after lockdown um, he had a great period there in front of uh, sort of behind Fernandes and, and Pogba but I think the last two games he's played he started against West Brom he came off the bench against Istanbul I think he really struggled against both teams um, I think that he, he, when he when he plays alongside Fred or, or McTominay I think he struggles because of his mobility I think he's just getting a bit bit up there in age uh, and obviously I think Pogba's absence harms him as well because I think those two really complement each other uh, on the ball uh, Josh who would you go with as your loser from this week uh, at Manchester United um, so I've actually gone from Martial for the for the lose, loser of this week and I, I guess carried on for since the start of the season really he's really struggled um, I had some chats with friends beforehand and not United fans and they were kind of tipping him to be Premier League top scorer or at least up there and follow on from kind of the second half of last season and then you see the stats of always oh, had more red cards and shots on target and um etc etc and he, he's 
he looks like he's not got any confidence, but also that he's not that interested, that he's not got that much confidence. Um, And whereas I was hoping getting sort of Cavani in would spur him on to be even better and learn from that, actually it it looks to kind of turned him the other way. And he's gone gone to Martial a couple of seasons ago where he seems a bit arrogant and uninterested. Yeah. Um, Which I think is a real shame because his talent is is obviously there. Um, I think he could really be one of the best strikers in the Premier League if he if, if he puts mind to it. But it just seems something's not quite right at the moment. I don't know whether it's Cavani or Rashford getting a lot of the plaudits, or I, I, I don't know what's going on. But it just doesn't seem quite right. Um, and I think he'll he'll struggle to keep his place. Yeah, I, soon. I, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I think there was times last season where, especially in the first half of the season where United were struggling, when Martial would produce some sort of bit of magic and I'd be like why can't you do that every week it's ridiculous I think was it partisan Belgrade in the Europa League last season where he went on this little marauding run through the box and chipped the keeper and I was like right I know it's not Liverpool's defence I know it's not Virgil van Dijk but how can if you've got that skill in your locker then I'm surprised you don't use that every week it's ridiculous Um, Ewan who is your loser from this week Uh, well Josh has stolen mine. <laughs> um, so I'll hurriedly go with Pogba instead. Recently, I know it's sort of hard to say when he's not played, but we've we, we've quite clearly now, for the first time pretty much since he joined, we've got a functioning set of midfielders. We, we, we're not reliant on him anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he's effectively not performed for three years or whatever, it still felt like we need him to be the most creative and talented player in the squad and it's not like that anymore that that is Bruno Fernandes now and with a player like Donny van der Beek and the raised performances from players like McTominay and Fred the the importance of Pogba for me even just in the past week has dropped massively no I see your point I mean surely it's a it's a loss for Pogba if he doesn't play at all considering he's brought in for 90 million he's the most expensive midfielder in the world and should be playing lights out for United every week and yet we've seen probably less world-class moments from him than we've seen from, from Anthony Martial. Um, Funnily sorry. enough, he, he was my, my second choice Pogba <laughs> and I kind of changed last second. I, I, I think um, I, I think it might finally be time to give up on the sort of Pogba project and, and kind of see how much yeah. we can get for him now. Um, yes, exactly. For, for reasons exactly like you've just said, he... he we're not reliant on him in that midfield anymore. And how much does he actually add? Um, yeah. yeah. Well, you can. I think you can see on when he's on the ball that he needs far more time than he's afforded. He needs more time to sort of spray a pass out for forty yards or whatever it is. And you can sell that. I mean, I know he was amazing for Juventus. I know he's amazing for France. But he's got the time to do what he needs to do on the ball. And in the Premier League, you just don't have that due to the the quickness of the game. So. I don't know. That's the frustrating thing. He'll he'll go to PSG or Real Madrid and, and win the Ballon d'Or within three years because yeah. uh, of how their league's playing, uh, you know. And he'll be in the Champions League. He gets found out every now and then, but actually, yeah. he'll he'll look world class again, and everyone will blame United, and it will just be so frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. With the talent he's got, I've, I've got to say, if he plays like next week and just does one good pass, I will I will absolutely be sold the dream again. And because <laughs> when he when he's on song, he I, he is utterly amazing, but. I have lost patience with it now, and like I was saying, we're not relying anymore. Drem, do you remember Brighton away last season where he put, played that pass for Fernandez, and we were like, "Oh, it's time. We've got the <laughs> midfield now, and it's just, oh, it's just not not the same anymore." Um, I mean, it's fine because honestly, I from about I think I gave up on Pogba about a year and a half ago. Probably about eighteen months ago, I gave up on Pogba, and I was like, "Well." He's not going to be doing it now, considering... Uh, well, he had that really good spell when Solskjaer came in as interim manager, and then pff, he just went off the rails, and it was just... it was It's so unfortunate, because you can see the talents there. Um, but, as you say, I think it's just... It is the, I think it's just the, the speed of the league. I just don't think he's ever adapted to it, which is unfortunate, because you'd think that, having been at United since he was a kid, and then, obviously... Uh, coming up through the academy, I think he would he would have been trained into that, and he would have had that from these under twenty threes games and things like that, and reserve reserve fixtures. But clearly not. But you know what can you do? Obviously ninety million. 
Will United get? I don't think United will any, get any profit on that. To be honest, I think it'd be, I think it'd be probably closer to a forty million loss. I think fifty million would be generous for Pogba in today's market, especially given the financial implications that the uh, the pandemic has caused. But you know, what can you do? United have got a functioning midfield without Pogba, so I think that's probably the the one thing to uh, to save it from that. Uh, so we're going to move. Sorry, were you going to say anything? I was just saying. Uh, agreed. I think fifty million we'll be lucky to get now. Yeah. 100%. Okay, so we're going to move on now and we're going to talk about what's been on your mind. So, this is the feature where we just United or football in general, what is on the mind of our co hosts? Uh, so, I'm going to start with you, Ewan. Uh, what has been on your mind this week? Uh, well, I think there's only one answer and it's Diego Maradona, isn't it? Oh, 100%, yeah. He, uh, it's, it's one of them, you, I feel like people of our age, um, Obviously, we, we wouldn't have seen him live in the, like when we were growing up. We, we were too young, but you almost don't quite fully comprehend how important these figures are in your life just from reading and watching stuff about them until this sort of thing happens. And it's like, oh wait, they they can they can die. These people who mm-hmm. are complete heroes, and you, you almost get to you almost get you get to learn about them all over again, which is what's been nice in the last day or so. Is reading everything, watching everything, and just sort of get to know a legend all over again. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I agree with you there. And it's just, it's so annoying to see the British media, of course, trying to make it all about them. It's horrible. And, it? it's and just the tablet Englanders. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, right? I'm not being funny, but if it had been the if it had been the other way around, I've said this all all for, for the last 24 hours. If it'd been the other way around, and wait, uh, Gary Lineker had done that. I'm sure everyone would be loving it, and I'm sure everyone would be about still talking about it now. So, obviously, you know he's an absolute legend, and you know you, you I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I've enjoyed watching all the, uh, all the stuff that uh, sort of the, uh, the TV, the tape, the TV's doing at the minute, and all the stuff that you read at the minute on the on, on online. Again, as you say, learning about players all over again. Um, and some of the tributes that have been pouring in over the last couple of uh, the last couple of hours have been have been sensational. I think Na- was it Napoli Stadium Stadium they uh, they're going to rename. I think was it Boca yeah. Juniors as well did a really nice tribute to him, lighting up his box at at the ground, and it's sensational. Um, I heard other- my favourite fact about him yesterday, which I, I think I had heard it in the past, but just kind of forgotten about it. But um, the year that Napoli first won the title. Um, Apparently, twenty-five percent of the babies born in Naples um, that year were named Diego. Oh, that is sensational! That is a great <laughs> fact. I'll tell you what, that is that's going in my repertoire for for, for next time I can see my friends. You can claim that one. <laughs> Brilliant, uh, Josh. Uh, obviously, Diego has been taken there. Is there anything else that's been on your mind? Um, Jose Mourinho has been been on my mind actually. Funnily <laughs> enough. Um, just yes Italian football legend (laughs) (laughs) just because obviously the success that Spurs have had at the start of the season um, and at at times last season just prompts me to keep thinking that we got rid of him too early um, and we actually treated him pretty awfully I I was not too against it at the time because I thought maybe he's a bit past it um, but I don't know if you've watched that Tottenham documentary on Amazon and obviously how well he's got Kane working this year. You know, the most joint up there with Pat, the most successful in terms of trophies of the last 20 years, or 15 really, if you take Fergie out of it. It just makes me think maybe we should have just given him a, a, a bit more time and, and seen where we were at now. See, um, see, I disagree with you there. I think, I think Mourinho, I don't think, had the I don't think he was I think it was wrong place wrong time for Mourinho at United. Um, I don't think he got I don't think he got the backing he deserved from the board. Um, I think to be honest, some of the stuff that he came out with in his last season, obviously, you know, it's classic Mourinho. But sort of the things in there was it was San Francisco saying that he wouldn't pay to watch United um, in in the preseason tour, and obviously you can say that maybe he wasn't past his best. Maybe he's he's still got something left in the tank. But that Tottenham squad that he inherited was a lot, a lot better than the United squad he inherited. Um, and yes, yeah. What I don't like about him is he he makes everything about him, whether it's yeah. good performance. Um, you know, excellent performance, and if it's a bad performance, then it's the player's fault. I think he did that quite a lot, but I just think that he 
knows how to win, and maybe we needed that for a couple more seasons. Yeah. A, a bit of stability. So, Solskjaer is just so up and down uh, <laughs> with what it looks like he's trying to achieve. That I, I, you know, he's over a hundred games now, and I still don't really get what he's trying to do in terms of systems. I get what he's trying to do in terms of signings at times, and then we go and sign Cavani, and it just all seems all over the place. No, um, yeah. But but yeah, it, it's what I've been thinking about. Whether I whether I actually wish he'd have stayed, I'm I'm not sure. Um, but if Tottenham go and win something this year, not the league, I don't think they'll win that. But but anything else, I, I think will kind of prove that he is still that winner. Yeah. Well. One of our one of our sort of final final points of the podcast because uh, I am a little bit conscious of time. Let's talk about plays that we might have forgotten this week. Uh, it's a new section that I want to bring to the podcast. Uh, so the forgotten player of the week um, is someone who could have featured this week. He hasn't. So who who we can't forget to overlook. Maybe a youth player that's on the fringe of coming up. Uh, so we're all going to go around and talk about who we think is the forgotten player of the week at Old Trafford. I'm going to start with Dean Henderson. Uh, I think he probably could have started against Istanbul. I think if United had won against Istanbul in Turkey, he probably would have started last night on Tuesday night, so to say. Um, I think he might start against Everton in the League Cup on the Christmas Eve, I think it is, 23rd of December. Um, and I think the FA Cup, when that returns in January, um, will be a huge boost uh, to Henderson because uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that wherever United go in that competition, he'll start. And I don't think if United get to the semi-finals, he'll be overlooked in favour of David De Gea like Sergio Romero was last season. Like he was unfairly, I think, because obviously Romero, I don't think, ever put in a bad performance for United, maybe one or two. Um, so yeah, Dean Henderson would be my forgotten player of the week. Ewan, who, who would yours be? Um, I've gone for Pellistri just because I I would have liked to have seen him a bit in the Istanbul game. Not not as a starter, that was never going to happen. But with with the five subs rule and the the game, I, I said to some friends before the game, I said I, I want to be three 0 up at our time, and then I want to see Pellistri come on. Yeah, and half of that did actually happen. <laughs> but um, when yeah, with the, with with the added substitutions and the game being won. I, I, it would have been nice to see him for sort of twenty minutes or so, but he, you know, he clearly went with Dan James. But equally, it could have happened if uh, you know Lindelof went off at half time. That was Wambasaki probably wouldn't have come off in normal circumstances either. So maybe mm. it's just a bit unlucky with the way the game went. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Josh, I hope I hope Ewan hasn't stolen yours. Your suggestion. Probably we should have coordinated this before the podcast. <laughs> no, no, he hasn't. Funnily enough, I, I completely agreed with your Dean Henderson comment. And, and actually, I, I think Romero should be up there as too. I, I genuinely yeah. think we've got three of the best keepers in, in the break, all just sat there. Um, yeah, I know there was a comment from Romero's wife during the transfer window that we didn't let him go. And I think that would be the fair thing to do because I think he starts for probably 16 out of the the 20 teams in there yeah I mean if if you're in a position where your third choice goalkeeper is going to strengthen an, an opponent you're probably doing a good job mm-hmm. I mean it's quite have United got the best best goalkeeper unit in the league probably I, I think so I, I really rate Romero like you said he didn't do a single thing wrong for United that I can remember no. um, and obviously Dean Henderson should probably be England's number one above Pickford um, and he's, you know, sat as our number two. So whether he goes out on loan again, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I think it would probably be best for him if he did, especially with the Euros coming up. But mm-hmm. but who knows? Um, but on forgetting forgotten player of the week, it's someone who's not actually been overlooked, but sometimes forgotten by the fans, and and that's Fred. I think after um, Fernandez, he was probably our second best player on on the pitch against Istanbul, and I really didn't like him when he joined but I think the last sort of 12, 12 months he's he's shown his worth he just runs he intercepts um okay he's not the most creative or sort of inventive but he, he 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 does a job and I think that's needed in there that energy a lot of the time yeah I mean 
Fred's a frustrating player for me because I do see his worth. I do see him running between the lines and, and making those tackles and really coming up and sneaking on people and, and nicking the ball back. But it is when he tries to make 40-yard Hollywood passes that really frustrates me because it's clear he can't do that. And also, as anyone else knows, is that he likes to take about six shots from outside the box per game and <laughs> most of them end up in rosette. Well, he scored that one free kick for Shakhtar, didn't he, a few years ago? Yeah, so he did. So <laughs> He's taken that as a licence. So he it from wherever he wants to. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, if that was the case, then Victor Lindelof should be given the same thing because I'm sure I've seen him bend in free kicks for Benfica before he signed for United. (laughs) Fair enough. No, that's a really good suggestion with Fred. Um, So, sort of penultimate thing I want to talk about in the podcast, uh, shameless plug. Uh, Is there any content anyone's working on this week? Is there anything that we're we're going to be making on on, on Vavil? Is there any uh, content anyone's producing? Josh, Ewan, have you got uh, got anything you're working on at the minute? Um, I've, I've got a bit of an idea and it's stemmed from some things I've, I've seen on Twitter and actually maybe something for the podcast next week but it's in terms of where does Bruno stand already in terms of top United signings of the Premier League era oh, okay. um, because of the impact he's had I know he's only been there what well less than a year just less than a year but the impact that he's had on, on that team he's probably stayed Solskjaer countless times um, and just actually how how good and how important is he um some of the other signings i've seen of sort of van Persie for one season winning the league you know Cantona up there um ronaldo etc but yeah that's kind of uh what i'm working on at the moment you is there anything you're working on particularly at the minute well uh, sort of away from united I've, I've not written anything for a long time because i was in a full-time job and didn't have the time but um but i do have the time now <laughs> and um so I, i've I'm, I'm big on my Italian football and I used to write about it a lot so I'm trying to pick that up again just start with a few few match reports and then sort of develop it from there Excellent Well uh, I'm I, I, I said last week last week that I was working on a piece about Henrik Larsson um, and maybe if it if, if his uh, role at United was more of a myth than uh, people like to remember I've sort of hit a dead end with that at the minute so uh, that I'm going to come back to that <laughs> In a in a few weeks. It's interesting um, you say that. I remember talking to some friends about Larson once, and I've only got the vague memories of him, but I vividly remember that game against Villa where he scored, and yeah. I had it in my head that he scored a hatful of goals for United that season in a sort of Ibrahimovic way. Yeah. And I looked it up, and he scored once or maybe twice. In yeah, his exactly. Time yeah. United. So I think I think people like to romanticise the idea of Henrik Larson at United, but I want to see if. Larson and then other short-term strikers, Odion Agarlo, maybe Cavani could come into there. Uh, whether they've been successful as United players, obviously we've got the likes of Falcao, who clearly have not. Um, so yeah, brilliant. Like to hear uh, everyone's uh, working on some stuff. I, talking, I sort of shaded the question a little bit there. I have hit a dead end with my uh, Henrik Larson story, but I'm sure I'm going to be involved in the content that we produce after the Southampton game. And apart from that, I'm not currently working on anything because I've got a lot of coursework for college. So fun and games. Uh, finally, on the podcast, uh, we're going to do a, a, a shootout, and I'm quite glad that Josh raised the point of uh, United signings. So uh, this one, as you may have seen, is all about Eric Cantona, who uh, signed on this day in 1992. Uh, as Well, probably not as you're listening to this. We are recording this on Thursday the 26th. So uh, Cantona signed for United on this day in 1992. So uh, we're going we're gonna to have a, a three-question quiz about that. Uh, sort of the biggest... Uh, so whoever, whoever gets two first wins, basically. It's best out of three. Um, so hopefully... Hopefully we know the answers to these. Uh, if not, this sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> you got this in the bag, Josh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it's like one of us does. <laughs> okay, brilliant. Well, so today is the so first question. Uh, today, so basically, just just answer if you get if you if you know the answer. So just don't don't worry about buzzing in or anything like that. It's not it's not the chase. All right. So today <laughs> is the first, is the anniversary of Eric Cantona signing for Manchester United. But who did he score his first United goal against? No. Arsenal. No, but close. What, geographically or? Geographically close. I mean, you can tell neither of us knows. Yeah, yeah. It's not Spurs. <laughs> oh, oh no. <laughs> in, the, in the London metropolitan area. <laughs> Palace. <laughs> not quite. 
Chelsea. Chelsea, Josh gets the Josh gets the point. <laughs> that, that could have got embarrassing. My XG would have been higher there. <laughs> uh, Chelsea, a one-one draw at Stamford Bridge in 1992. December. It took it took a, almost a month for Cantona to score for United. Um, how many penalties? So, question two. Josh is one 0 up. I might edit out the uh, the deliberation over there, just, just, so, just to retain <laughs> Josh's do. pride. Just to retain his pride. Half the <laughs> Uh, number two, how many? Right, so he scored. So there were sixteen penalties that uh, Eric Cantona scored for Manchester United. Obviously, one of the most prolific penalty takers in United uh, history, behind Bruno Fernandez. Um, out of his sixteen penalties, how many? I want to know how many did Cantona score. Fourteen. Fourteen is exactly right, Josh. Wow! Excellent. <laughs> wow. Well, I knew it. I knew it was more than one, but I knew it wasn't many, so it would have been going down then. I'm well, glad you got that quickly because I, I would have just started listing numbers. <laughs> okay, so he missed. Yeah, he missed two uh, against Blackburn and Leeds, but he went on to score later in both of those games. Obviously, scoring against his former club, uh, Ellen Road, which was phenomenal. I am going to say the third question because I particularly like this question. So don't worry if you don't get it right because Josh has already won you and you just need to win this one to retain a little bit of dignity. Um, <laughs> what shirt number did Eric Cantona wear on his debut? That feels like a trick question. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, uh, yeah. Right, go on, I'll uh, let you go first, Ian. Just try, it's, it's a stick or twist. I'll just go with seven, but I feel like it's a trick question. It's not seven. I was going to go for seventeen. Oh, it's in the. Well, I say it's in the team. 14. It's not. No, lower. Skim. Thirteen. Play your cards right now. No, lower. <laughs> so is it twelve or eleven? <laughs> it's, it's twelve. Josh has got it right. It's number twelve. Cantona uh, came on against half. Uh, came on at half time in the Manchester derby, replacing another United legend in Ryan Giggs. Of course, Cantona's debut came in the pre-squad number era so he came on off the bench wearing the number 12 and uh, against Manchester City so Josh with a, a stomping 3-0 victory there you and I think <laughs> I, I hope United can achieve some similar results in the next couple of weeks 3-0 uh, possibly against Southampton um, but that does it for uh, episode 2 of Fergie Time uh, time flies when you're having fun uh, so that does it for the second episode of Fergie Time, the Manchester United podcast, brought to you by Vavil UK. Vavil UK is, of course, the home to some of the finest sports writing from uh, some of the best and brightest young writers from around, from around the world. You can follow all the build-up for United's fixtures with Southampton on Sunday and PSG on Wednesday evening over on vavil.com forward slash en forward slash tag forward slash Manchester dash United. That's vavil.com forward slash en forward slash tag forward slash Manchester dash United. Uh, so, thanks to the two lads to, for coming on the podcast. Can we get uh, are you open to giving away Twitters if people want to go and follow you? Ewan, have you got a Twitter that people can access if people want to follow you for your Italian football I knowledge? <laughs> well, funnily, I don't really tweet about football, that, but um, okay. maybe maybe if people followed, I would. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it is, I believe, at Burns, B U R N S underscore E U A N. Excellent. Simple, no numbers. Brilliant. Uh, Josh, have you got a social media that people can go and follow if they want to? Yes, so mine's just at Josh Dolman, D-O-L-M-A-N, J-O-S-H-D-O-L-M-A-N. Excellent. If you want to follow me, I don't know why you would. I only tweet about football and politics, and that, that politics is the most boring topic anyone can follow on Twitter. I'm sure I lose followers because of it. But you can follow me <laughs> at RyanBatty13. Uh, so... That's it for United. Oh, obviously, you can go and follow Man United Vavil on there, on 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 podcast uh, on podcast on Twitter. It's at Man United Vavil. Uh, but as for now, it's goodbye from me. It's goodbye from Ewan. Goodbye. Uh, and it's goodbye from Josh. Goodbye. We'll be back very soon. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>